Welcome to FT Advisors podcast series in association with Janice Henderson, looking at the components of multi-asset funds for clients. I'm Ellie Duncan, Features Editor of FT Advisor. A combination of factors has been bringing down fees and charges in the investment management industry, meaning, in theory, advisors' clients should be getting better value for money. The Retail Distribution Review has helped when it comes to transparency, but it is probably the rise of passive investing that has really put the most pressure on investment firms and fund houses to take a closer look at the fees they are charging. Passive providers like Vanguard have been lowering fees for several years, showing investors they don't have to pay much to get exposure to a portfolio of global stocks. So what presents good value when it comes to helping clients build an investment portfolio? How can advisors ensure any gains are not eaten away at by excessive charges? And how can clients get a clear picture of just how much their portfolio is costing them? Nick Watson, a portfolio manager on the UK-based multi-asset team at Janice Henderson, and Rory Maguire, managing director of Fundhouse, are here to discuss what value for money looks like to clients. When advisors talk to their clients about value for money, what do they actually mean? So I suppose from, from my perspective, value for money can cover two areas. And firstly, there's the investment outcome, which the client hopefully experiences over the course of their investment um, investment history and journey. But then there's also the marketing element to it, communicating with the client, giving them advice in terms of return expectations, support materials and market commentary so they feel up to date with how their investments are performing. Rory? Yeah, I, I think value for money, um, whether you are you know, fund manager and advisor, a butcher, whatever it is, you um, you need to provide a service for which you charge a fee where that, that fee is proportionate to the value of that service. And I think that's that's probably how we would define value for money for any for any service and um, whether it's a passive equity or active equity product, we look at it through that lens. So um, many investment products now use the ongoing charges figure, obviously it's sometimes shortened to OCF, to convey what the total costs will be to the investor. Um, are these accurate, these kind of figures? Are they helpful, do you think? Um, they, they contain most costs um, except for transaction costs and, 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 and the, transact- the actual costs of trading inside that portfolio. The OCFs tend to be pretty accurate, and they tend to be an all-in cost, save for the transaction costs. And the data we've got on the transaction costs, we process about 40,000 different funds, transaction costs a month, is all over the place. It is, you know, it's inaccurate at a fund level at the moment. We find it very hard to get accurate transaction costs. But the OCF data is, is good. Nick, would you uh, agree that the OCF can be a useful figure? Yeah, I would. I mean, within our portfolios, we make use of passive instruments and also active managers. So we'll look at the... OCF and the entire fee um, that you're paying. The OCF gives you clear visibility about the fee burden that the client should be experiencing. As we always mentioned, there are some things that drop out of that, um, but actually the overall OCF gives you a clear visibility of the fee burden the client um, is experiencing, but then also potentially what the advisor should be expecting back from that asset management firm for the fee that they're paying. Okay. So really then, advisors need to play quite a crucial role in this, in explaining to their clients exactly what sort of total overall costs are, right, Nick? Yeah, I think that's correct. But I think the advisor's role there is not just about communicating the cost of the respective investments, but also the merits of them. If you buy a passive investment, you understand what you're getting. You're getting the return on the market minus a small fee. So in a rising market, 
and that's going to do really well. In a falling market, correspondingly, you're going to get all the downside and then also the fee on top of that. So the client has to be advised in terms of what the fee they're paying for and then also the return expectations they could potentially expect from that investment. There's, there's a challenge that the advisor has with a client. Um, so with a passive fund, it is a bit of what you see is what you get. You know what you're getting, as Nick's explained, and there's a cost for that, and the cost is usually pretty low. With 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 active, they of course wake up in the morning and believe they're above average. Um, they're above the passive equivalent, let's just say. Um, and and they're trying to add something extra, which is usually sort of quantified as alpha. Um, but the fee that they charge, the way the mechanism for charging the fee is based on the size of the fund, and not on that specific deliverable. So when you when you go back to what I was saying earlier about the relationship between value and the proportionality of the cost to that value, there, there's no link between those two with active management generally, between what they're there to deliver, excess returns, and the fee that they charge. And so it's it's inherently an incredibly difficult thing for a for an advisor to know how to explain. Um, because we, we ourselves ask fund managers this question, they, they struggle to explain to us what the relationship is between the value and the fee. Okay, so this is something that obviously the industry needs to what be a little bit more transparent about? Or? Well, well, no, I, th I think it is what it is. Advisors charge on the same basis as well. Um, it's all assets under management fees. But you're, you're in an odd relationship with a fund manager as an investor in that fund where you pay them regardless of what the outcome is, whereas in almost any other industry or any other business, you can see what value you're getting and pay for that value accordingly. Whereas with the fund managers on the active side, that's not what you necessarily are getting. Relationship-wise, you might be getting value, um, but you pay for it anyway. So even if you don't get value, you pay for it. And so it's very difficult in advance for a, an advisor to express that to, to a customer. Yeah, th I think that's fair. I suppose when the advisor makes the investment decision into, let's say, a multi-asset strategy, there are things they can look at to give them some guidance as to maybe what they could expect going forward or maybe hope for. Um, Long-term track record, um, having navigated a range of market environments. But then you're also looking at what does that team provide? Have they got the depth in terms of, let's say, navigating volatile markets? Can they do asset allocation? Can they select the right instruments? And when I'm just talking about selecting instruments, we've, we've mentioned passive as being just getting beta, but you can actually manage the way you use your ETFs and your passive exposures. Um, Take, for example, the UK equity income sector. You can get two equity income ETFs in the UK market, one for my shares, one from Spider. They both try to deliver the same thing, but they do so in a very different way. So one's got more value, more exposure to resources. One's more quality focused with more exposure to consumer staples, for example. So even within the use of passive investments, you can still actively manage those. So that comes back to what the client's actually getting for their fee. Throughout this kind of passive versus active debate, there has obviously been a lot of scrutiny on, on the active side of that. And whether, in fact, as you were sort of alluding to, Rory, you mm. know, you are kind of getting value for money there because they'll charge the same fees, whatever the performance. Do you think in, in that sense, then, active management has sort of come under some some kind of more unfair scrutiny and active managers because of the way they charge fees it's very hard for them to express in advance what they consider value for money to look like because of what i've just explained and so what we've seen as an industry is with that 
inherent difficulty to express that clearly to a client, all the fees are coming down together. Whereas in other industries, what you see, you know, whether it's mobile phones or other industries, you, you, you see difference in price depending on quality of product. But what we're witnessing in Active is a collective climb down on fees. And, and I think a lot of it's got to do with a, a, a real difficulty of explaining this problem, which is the value for money problem, um, which, which comes back to the fee mechanism. Okay, so active managers have have reacted though, haven't they? In all, in all fairness, they Nick have. and then and Rory, and they have brought prices down. Um, do you think they can still do more? Maybe. Um, I, th I think you could certainly make that argument. Um, if you look at the fund ranges that we've launched over the past five years in response to client demand, mm -hmm. they have a lower AMC, and our our use of active managers is different from the way it was previously in, let's say, a multi manager portfolio. We do make use of um, more passive investments where we deem that to be appropriate. Um, Talking about value for money and the, the challenge that active managers have faced and the pressure they've had for fees, active managers have quite rightly come in for some criticism in what's been a fantastic bull market for risk assets. All you've, all you've needed is passive. All you've needed is beta. You haven't needed alpha to sort of amplify your returns because everything's gone up and you've had some really good performance. In a lower return environment, for example, let's say what we've experienced year to date or what you're likely to experience as QE comes out of the marketplace, at the benefit of having an active manager and the potential for alpha is going to be a bigger part of your returns going forwards as a percentage corresponding the fees going to be important as well um, so active managers have rightly been criticized in a lower return environment active managers should hopefully come back to the fore but frankly they need to get it right to mm -hmm. make sure the active man management industry still has a role to play couldn't agree with that more actually um, so um, w when when we see markets at peaks like we have credits at a peak duration at a peak equities potentially at a peak of course passive can do no wrong um, and when future returns look low and alpha proportionality is very high that should be a really good moment to be an active manager so so there is certainly um, an overdose of passive and passive noise in the market as a result of that um, and and hopefully I think clients We'll see the balance in the argument should should markets not keep going up as much as they have, which seems likely. I don't think that's a bad thing because that fee pressure that the passage of it have sort of brought to the market is being felt everywhere. So even if active managers are better placed to deliver some alpha going forwards, the fee compression, if you like, is just helping those guys deliver more returns for their clients and actually helping lower fee burdens across the board. And proportionality is the key. You know, if if you if you take an analogy, you're building a house and your neighbor's building a house from a passive builder and you decide to use an active builder, they'll build a perfectly good house next door and your active builder at the moment on a fee proportionality basis will charge about six, seven times more. And and they aren't able yet, I guess, to clearly articulate what that seven times more looks like and you're going to pay for it whether it ends up better or not. And it's a six or seven times factor that I think is coming under pressure where you can get passive for single digits and active, um, you know, was it a percent, it's coming down to 70 and perhaps lower at the moment. And it's that proportionality that I think is coming under pressure. The difference between passive and active is still quite substantial. I think, I think in the multi-asset space, that's also got impl implications for what a client actually gets from the multi-asset fund. Mm -hmm. um, we're all familiar with the traditional sort of cautious managed type funds, so 60% equities, 40% bonds. That clearly has been a successful strategy in a bull market and is a strategy that clearly raised lots of, a lot of assets um, 
in sort of earlier market conditions. But if you think about returns going to be potentially lower going forward, more volatility, a genuine multi-asset solution should offer you something different. Let's say the use of alternatives. And we have seen a range of uh, multi-asset funds and products come to market over the last few years. They seem to be sort of, um, the suggestion is that maybe they are uh, a good way for certain clients perhaps who aren't going to be able to invest um, in individual sort of equity funds and bond funds to just kind of uh, invest in one product that's going to do it all for them. So does that mean they offer this kind of middle ground between a a kind of really cheap passive product and obviously something that's actively managed? What do you think, Roy? Yeah, um, multi-asset, you're right. uh, There's been so many product launches, we can't keep up. Um, And the range of of complexity in them goes from vanilla on the one end to sort of hugely complex on the other. Um, It's quite difficult to sort of stick them in, in one camp as a result of that. Uh, but but broadly speaking, if you um, if you're looking at the average investor, a multi-asset strategy is a, a very sensible idea. And to shop purely on cost, m- you, you might end up in the cheapest you know global equity or some other equity strategy, which tend to be the cheapest to run in passive terms, is is probably not going to be the best place to put your money if and uh, for the average retiree. So multi-asset's got a huge part to play. We certainly are seeing um, sales of multi-asset funds sort of increasing. I know investment associations and net retail sales figures have shown that mixed asset categories um, or just mixed asset funds, as they kind of term them, um, you know, investors are piling into them. So, um, Nick, do you think that's kind of a reflection of, of what you alluded to earlier, you know, what's going on in markets at the moment? Yeah, I think clients... A lot, of, a lot of the clients we speak to, a lot of the advisors recognise that they've done well out of what's been a fantastic bull market. So if they've been putting together their own list of funds or their own um, managed portfolio solution, they recognise that actually if markets are going to be a bit harder going forwards, returns might not be quite so straightforward to come by. So you can see why they're going down the multi-asset route in terms of putting clients in that direction. If you look at what's actually sold really well within those IA sectors you mentioned, again, people have been crowding into the passive options because they're cheap and because they've got really good performance um so yes flows have gone towards multi-asset funds but it's been more down the sort of passive 60 40 route in a more volatile environment that might not necessarily be the best risk adjusted return that a multi-asset fund can offer you why do passive products generally charge less and does this mean they are actually good value how, how what does that mean to a client if you say oh, i put you in a passive product it's just kind of tracking an index it's cheap it's cheerful so that means it's good value D- does it i mean it, it certainly means you have a lower cost um the argument about value is more focused to my mind on outcomes um and the outcome from a passive vehicle has been better than an active manager on acts on average over the past five years or even back to the start of qe in the past 10 years even if you like um, so that argument about sort of cost versus value is slightly different to my mind. Um, why are they cheap? Well, they don't have big resources of um, analysts who are trying to do fundamental stock picking. So the cost base itself is different. Um, there's also different ways of constructing them, which is an important part for the ad- important decision for the advisor when they do think about allocating passively. Passive, you know. Uh, uh, passive managers probably won't like me saying this, and I used to work in ones that maybe gives me an ounce of credibility in saying it, is um, they're administrators of portfolios. 
they they make sure that the cash flows they get in adequately match an underlying index. Um, there's complexity around that, but broadly speaking, they're administrators of portfolios, and their fee reflects an administration cost. Active managers are, are in the business of making judgment, and that's that's the, the that's where the multiple of cost comes in is the judgment piece. So so the cost of running of running index is is really really low, um, and and therefore the the fee is 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 low as well. The 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 thing with with passive is that it's, there's a very clear link between their cost and their fee. Whereas with active, they're not selling something that's related to a cost. They're selling something that's related to value add. It's all about the judgment. Um, so and, and as you know, that's the hard part is to is to to try and quantify what that is in value terms. So thank you to Nick and Rory for their comments and insight. You can read more on multi-asset news at ftadvisor.com. And if you have any questions for our experts on multi-asset, let us know by tweeting at ftadvisor or emailing eleanor.duncan at ft.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.